And, and I'm, I'm always very happy to share this story, even though it feels far away for me now, because when we got a diagnosis of congenital heart disease, when I was, um, I think I was 22 weeks pregnant. So this was before he was even born. I had never heard of CDH, which is congenital heart disease. I didn't know anyone who had had a child who needed open heart surgery. I didn't know that one in 10 kids have a heart condition. I didn't know any of this. And so when I got that information, I always feel, um, I I, I felt so alone and Mm -hmm. so scared. Welcome to the Let's Not Sugarcoat It podcast, where every week we bring you real, raw, and unfiltered conversations. Designed to motivate and inspire you on your journey through motherhood, relationships, and career. We're your hosts, Alex and Bella. Thanks for spending this time with us. Well, welcome, welcome. Today we have Jen Wint from Vancouver. And Jen and I worked together at Vancouver Mom for a bit on a project. So that's how I know Jen. Uh, Jen is a writer, public (laughs) public relations specialist, founder of Wint Communications, She's passionate about sharing stories that connect people, communities, and brands, and uncovering diverse and unique perspectives. Jen is the author of Josie's Busy Calendar, a self-care story for kids, and a contributor to Mom Babes, a motherhood anthology. She lives with her husband, son, and daughter, who support her quest to find her neighborhood's best chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) Follow her at Jen Wint or visit her at windcommunications.com. So welcome, Jen. Yes, welcome. Well, Thank you so much for having me. It's great for you to be here. Actually, you live on like the Christmas street, right? Is it still a Christmas street in Vancouver? I live in the Christmas neighborhood, but yes. I think you're talking about Trinity Street. I am talking about Trinity Street. Yeah. yeah. No. I'm I'm a couple blocks away, She's but we did walk up and down Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> up and down Trinity Street this, this past Christmas. There you go. Well, yeah. Welcome. Tell us. You know, a bit more about yourself. Yeah. About your business, um, all of it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to chat. I love your podcast. So I'm excited to, uh, to, yeah, get into some of the, some of the conversations that, that you ladies have. Um, I always feel a little bit of imposter syndrome when I'm, when someone says, tell us more about yourself. Because I think, oh, there's, there's not much to say. Like I'm a, I'm a mom. Um, As I was just saying offline, I have two kids. I have a four-year-old daughter who is upstairs watching Frozen because she has a cough. And I have a seven-year-old son who's in grade two. Um, and I live in East Vancouver um, in Canada with my my husband and my two kids and a cat that we're fostering that we oh. just found out has to go home <laughs> in two weeks. So I'm sad about that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Your kid's all heartbroken. And I think I'm more, more heartbroken than they are. Yeah. <laughs> they were better at the whole this is temporary thing than me. Um but yeah, I, uh, I work in public relations and I'm a writer. And as you mentioned, I have written a kid's book, um, which came out just kind of post-pandemic in, in 2021. And I contributed to the Mom Babes book, which, um, which was a really fun experience. And then my kind of day job is working in public relations, which is great because I get to tell the stories of other brands um, and other entrepreneurs. And then I do some like copywriting nice. and, uh, and some, some other writing as well. So yeah. Amazing. And how Not did you get fun. into running your own business? Like you, were you always in public relations or? Yeah. So I started in public relations uh, when I was living in Australia, actually, um, which we also mentioned before we hit record. Um, and I did public relations for a real estate company and I had no real intention of going into public relations, but um, 
you know, when you're kind of living abroad, you'll take the the job that pays the most. And that was just kind of how I ended up there. Um, and then I, so I, I worked for a couple of different companies doing, you know, various marketing roles in public relations. And then in, oh, geez, it was, I guess, I don't even know how long it was, about 12 or 13 years ago, I was in a corporate job um, and I got sort of redistributed and decided that it, the new role wasn't for me. Um, and so then while I, I, I resigned, so then I was effectively unemployed. And while I started looking for a new job, um, I just started taking contracts and one thing kind of led to another. And then I was too busy working contracts to be looking for full-time employment. And that's kind of kind of how it started. So I'm right. very much an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> I never would have pictured myself being self-employed. Um, and I still kind of wonder if, if I'm doing it right. I mean, I'm sure my accountant be- <laughs> may differ. Yeah. Oh, geez. Like I, I took forever this year to do my taxes. I did them like probably right before Christmas. And then now I'm like, now I have to do my next year taxes. Like yeah. right now. Yeah. It's just, it never yeah, ends. For never sure. Ends. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to like growth and expansion and, you know, how to, begin to make more money, but still having the same amount of hours in the day. I actually had a conversation, a really great conversation last week with a business coach um, who I think I'm going to start working with because, you know, you sort of, like I, I started my business and I was super excited to be self-employed and I had all the hours in the world and I used to work really hard and and then I would take certain times off and travel. And then you have kids and you just kind of go into like survival mode as mm-hmm. I think you're both very familiar with. Yeah. And I'm getting to the point now, my daughter starts kindergarten next year where I've kind of taken a moment to go like, what, what am I doing? What do I want to do? And what direction do I want my, my life and my career to kind of look like mm-hmm. professionally now that I'm not, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit optimistic that when she starts kindergarten, <laughs> it will all get easier. But, you know, like, I feel like my career has very much been just um, sustainable, I suppose, mm-hmm. for the last eight, nine years of, of having babies and having kids in daycare and all that kind of stuff. Um, that now I feel like it, I might be a little bit more in the driver's seat. And mm-hmm. what does that look like? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that's cool. I remember that feeling when Parker went back to like kindergarten, when he went to kindergarten after preschool, it did feel, especially too, as a freelancer, I do feel like when your kids are young, it's like you're picking up all these piecemeal freelance jobs. You're like, Mm-hmm. Oh, I have more time now than, oh, wait, my kids, can, it's hard to juggle it. And then mm-hmm. suddenly it's like, okay, well, I have this window of time in the day that I never had before. So then it's like, okay, let's try this. Mm-hmm. Although I do find like me, my problem, so avoid this. I'll just give you my tip is that <laughs> I, I'm i like, I have all this time in the day now. And then I book all these appointments and then I'm like, right, but I have a job. So then I'm right. still like, oh, I have to do all these contracts I said it would do. And then I'm still working at eight at night or five in the morning. So I have not figured Mm -hmm. it out. I'm like, freelancing is a funny, funny world, but I like it for sure. Well, yeah, a bit of discipline, I guess. Because like when we have kids, we don't um, schedule as much because it's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, the world... You may schedule something, but then you get a phone call and it's like, oh, your kid is sick. You come pick it up. Oh, you, you know, something's happening. Something's burning. Like there's always, so we we try to plan, but the plans typically never work out like scheduling because mm-hmm. there's always some sort of a chaos, chaotic something that's thrown in the mix. But now that we're, like our, most of our guests are similar age, they're in similar 
uh, stage in their lives with their kids where you have more stability. The kids aren't as like needy, let's just say. And then you can mm-hmm. start, you know, block. What is it called? Time, oh, yeah, blocking. time block for sure. But we're not, we need to wire ourselves back into mm-hmm. that time blocking because we're so sporadic. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to fly by the seat of pants, right? Just that by accident, yeah. we're doing this because, oh, something popped up and we took that job or took that opportunity around that child's schedule, which wasn't really yeah. a schedule. So, yeah, I feel like um, we're all who are entrepreneurs are starting in this phase of our lives to kind of um, hone in the time and, you know, just kind of be like, okay. Where can I, how can I improve? How can I grow? Mm-hmm. Not just business, but in life. in life. Although I find when you're like, I have a, my husband has a very corporate job. So mm-hmm. he works sort of very corporate hours. And I read an Instagram post that I found very triggering recently. And it said, um, nothing highlights um, domestic inequality, like an unexpected snow day. Mm. And oh, I felt that in my guts because in Vancouver, it snowed and everyone freaked out. Like the world ends. Schools. I mean, it, there was a lot of snow, but. Schools were closed for two days, mm-hmm. I guess about two weeks ago, unexpectedly. And because I'm the self-employed freelancer mm-hmm. entrepreneur, you know, my husband's like, well, I, I have to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I will reorganize everything. And it literally <laughs> took me about a week and a half to recover from those two surprise days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think even, and maybe, I think, I think even when you are, you do have more time, your kids are less needy. Being the default parent, mm-hmm. which I know a mm-hmm. lot of women are, whether they're um, whether they're employed or self-employed or anything, you just have to be ready, kind of at the drop of a hat, to to re- to respond to whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if something's on fire, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be that default parent that um, that gets called on. hundred yeah. percent. Like I remember when that project that I was working on with you in Vancouver for Vancouver Mom, it was like I had just moved to Kelowna. Parker was in full time preschool. I was like, this is going to be great. I have so much time to work. So I took on more things like that project. And then it was still COVID. The preschool suddenly closed because of COVID rules. So my kids, Mm. like, they used to to keep your kids quarantined for 10 days. And so from October through to, like, December 15th, I had had a kid in my face for, like, every single day Mm -hmm. that I was trying to work. And I was like, how am I supposed to do this? And then you just feel like you get further and further behind and you... It's, I find it so hard. And I know, Bella, you were saying this recently, like when you're working at home, there's all these other things. And like, Bella, you have your mom walking in or like, you're Mm -hmm. like, oh crap, I also have to juggle laundry. All these things Mm -hmm. that you are pulled in all these different directions. And it does, there's a lot of freedom in it, but there's also like so much other things that are around you that make it tricky at times too. Yeah. And like, I think there's some sort of like a expectation just because you're working Mm -hmm. from home that... Oh, but you're home, yeah. so you should be doing this, this, and this, right? Uh, I, mm-hmm. I hear that from my mom because my mom didn't work in the home. Mm-hmm. But when she sees me working, I'm in the zone. She'll come up and she starts chatting about, you know, whatever, coffee with her friends. And, oh, I'm going to be doing laundry. Oh, do you want me this? And I'm just like, I just need to get you yeah. get out of my face. Like, I love you. But this is my working day. <laughs> and if it's not the kids, it's now my husband mo- moved home full time. Um, and now he's in, in there as well. And then, you know, the cats and everything else. I started leaving the house. I'm going to a coffee mm-hmm, shop and mm-hmm. I can hammer out a lot more 
in that space because it's it's quiet and nobody's coming to interrupt me. Nobody's expecting me. Oh, well, you might as well just do lunch. Oh, you you know, I was talking to a friend and she's like, yeah, I'm coming and we work together. Uh, we left the house because she said the same thing is if she's home and let's say her, you know, fiance or husband or whatever is home, you know, lunch for her, if she's by herself, she can just grab a nibble. But when there's that other person, there's that expectation, oh, we're having lunch. So that's another half hour, 40, like mm. prepping, doing dishes, <laughs> all kind of stuff, right? So it is, it's, it's as entrepreneurs and female, there is that mm-hmm. expectation just on, on moms mm-hmm. that we are the first go-to. We're the ones making those sacrifices. We're the ones rearranging our days. We're the ones that, you know, have all these other, the balls that are juggling, Right. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, you can't multitask. Hell yeah, we can. Men can't multitask. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no. And it is so true. Like I saw this girl had something posted about her review that she had. And the person was like, yeah, people aren't looking for work-life balance anymore. They're looking for worth work-life integration. And she was like, what's that? And the woman said, oh, you know, when you're working at home, but you're also doing laundry. And she's like, well, I do that now and I hate that. So that's yeah. not something for people to aspire towards. Yeah. That just means your attention is like flitted in all these places. And why is it? Because just we're home. It's suddenly our responsibility to be doing the laundry while we're working. They're not doing the laundry <laughs> when they're working. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a statistic recently. It was actually on a podcast I was listening to that was about monotasking. Mm. Um, because when you multitask, you lose like 40% of your productivity. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of focused now on, um, on monotasking where I block, mm-hmm. um, like a, you know, 20 a, minutes, a time in my hour, calendar. Yeah. And then I turn my phone off, turn everything off. And so I'm fully focused on one task mm-hmm. and I haven't been doing it for long enough yet to kind of see if it works and it's not always successful, but, um, yeah, I find when I'm doing, 10 things at once, I I don't feel very accomplished at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it does work to block those times, even if sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but when I block something, I do like to say, okay, it's an hour of working on this. Sometimes maybe it bleeds over, even though I know you're supposed to sometimes hard stop. But at Mm -hmm. least I feel like, okay, I did do the thing that I said I was going to do. And then I feel like the day is more structured and it's more slotting in projects that way too I like that mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean it's hard juggling <laughs> it's a balancing act I don't know I know it's a struggle I I am like I said I need to get out of the house lately mm-hmm. just so that I can do those chunks of time otherwise mm-hmm. you know somebody interrupts my attention yeah mm-hmm. so yeah oh um, and then what, like, tell us about writing. Have you always loved writing? Is that, did you, cause you've written a lot of things. Like you used to write a lot for Vancouver mom. You used to, mm-hmm. you wrote in this book, you have your own book. Is it just a passion? Yeah. Yeah. I've always loved writing. Yeah. Like I kept a diary as a child and, and I've always loved kind of, um, you know, putting my experiences on paper, I guess you could say. Uh, the kids book was sort of always the bucket list thing. And then that came out during, um, during COVID, I, uh, I, so when COVID hit, I had a seven month old and like a three year old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, with my second daughter, I had quite, quite bad postpartum anxiety, um, which was really confusing. Cause at that time I felt like postpartum depression was getting more of, uh, 
there there was a lot more talk about that, but postpartum anxiety was like quite a bit more ambiguous and hard to find. And when I was talking to my three-year-old about anxiety, um, trying to explain to him what that was, I did what I always do and Google like how to talk to kids about anxiety and what books to get. And there wasn't really a lot that came up. And so I used to write little stories for him. And that one I ended up based on COVID and having a bit more time at home and wanting to feel like I was, you know, achieving something, uh, ended up turning that into a book, which has been a really interesting um, process over the last few years, including my publisher um, closing her business and filing for bankruptcy after I had already paid to write another book Mm. um, this past summer. So I've actually had to uh, learn a little bit more about the publishing side of it in the last few months and get, I've just got my book back um, on Amazon and in the distribution channels just recently because it was sort of taken down off everything when she shut her business abruptly. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, yeah, the business side of books is one that I didn't, I was like, oh, I love writing and I love telling (laughs) stories and I love sharing stories. And then it turns out to, uh, when it comes to books, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of business side, marketing side, um, distribution, working with like a physical product is a whole world that I had never um, I'd never experienced before because my business is a service-based business. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning about that has been really interesting. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been interesting for sure. And yeah. I'm still still learning. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, excited yeah. to pick your ba- brain because we're, we're doing our own uh, book this season. Yes. Yeah. So we're super excited. Um, yeah, to get that going right away. And yeah. Um, yeah, we are looking for amazing women who have amazing stories. Because I think every person actually has a story. I was even just going to say that. Even though, like you said at the beginning, oh, you know, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more mm-hmm. about, you know, yourself. And you're like, oh, what is there to do? I think when you actually look back uh, at the journey of, you mm-hmm. know, when you were childhood to now, everybody has a story. Everybody, when you look hard enough, long enough, realize that we all come with baggage. And I think sometimes (laughs) you think what your story is, isn't necessarily what your story is. So the Mom Babes is an anthology. Mm -hmm. So I was one of, I believe there's 18 of us and each one of us wrote a chapter. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of similar to that? Yeah, that's exactly. exactly. And that was such a cool experience for me because writing, so I, I wrote, I had published the kids book just before I started the mom babes process. And one thing about um, publishing a children's book that I, that I found that I really didn't expect was, and then this also comes with launching anything during COVID, but I, the, the book went live, it went on Amazon. It was so exciting. And then all of a sudden I'm standing there with this book, like alone in my home mm-hmm. with like a kid pulling on my sleeve, asking for a snack. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a published author, yeah, right? Like, <laughs> you know, but then it's almost like, what do you do next? Mm-hmm. What do you do from here? And I found that that part very lonely, mm-hmm. like sort of there's launch day and you get lots of nice messages and social media is being really kind to you. And then the next day you're, it's just you and your book, mm-hmm, <laughs> and, right? you know, whereas then with the mom babes experience, there were 18 of us and being able to share that experience was so such a better experience for mm-hmm. me to be able to, cause it's really hard. Even though I'm in PR, I found it really hard to say to someone like, Oh, you should buy my book, my kid's book. It's mm-hmm. so great. And this is why you should buy it. Whereas when it came to the Mom Babes book, I had no trouble selling that book because I was able to say like, yeah, there's my story, which I think was an interesting story for many people, but 
there were 17 other stories. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you have to read this one because of this. And this one touches on, you know, infertility. This one touches on, um, you know, family and, and the relationship with your mother and this one. And, and you know, there's, there's a reason in that book for everyone to, to want yeah. to, to read it. So I found that um, such a beautiful experience when it came to the, the bond with those women and the community that we created. And then to have this physical product that in a way I was almost more proud of than the book I had written alone because I had shared that experience. Mm-hmm, and right. maybe that speaks to, to me and oh, <laughs> no, I not wanting to do things alone. Like what we, <laughs> no, yeah. I think that's why one of the reasons we want to do it with people is like mm-hmm. to create that shared experience mm-hmm. to have something that showcases all these different stories. And to sh- yeah, yeah, show that you're not alone. Yeah. Like that's the big one is when we are going through th- hard things, we tend to keep them inside and it can get really, really lonely when mm-hmm. we're going through these things. So the reason we have this podcast is to open those conversations, to open those channels for people to start sharing because it's in the sharing and the vulnerability where growth and healing happens. So that's the purpose of the book. So we can touch more people at once mm-hmm. because there are multiple stories um, where somebody, anybody that picks up the book can be touched and inspired and feel like they're not alone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think also as women entrepreneurs, it tends to be lonely if you are mm-hmm. a solopreneur uh, and finding community is so important um, in those dark and lonely times. So that's, yeah, yeah, I do. I do feel very passionate about this book and what, like you said, you know, the collective, the collective has so much yeah. more power and energy and vibrations and you know you're feeding off of that energy and it's soul filling so yeah yeah Yeah, for sure absolutely and just having all those women in your corner Mm -hmm. um and you do share a lot with them and there's even vulnerability in sharing good news because as women we're sort of taught to not celebrate ourselves I think Mm -hmm. and um even when there some of the stories were about great accomplishments um incredible business ventures and really positive things, we do tend to just downplay um, those mm-hmm. things. So having having a group of cheerleaders is is so, so important and so valuable. That's cool. So did you guys, along the way, when you did that book, were you in contact then with the other women in the book writing process? Like, did you guys do stuff together? Like you're saying? Yeah, yeah. so we had like weekly, weekly mm-hmm. calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was sort of a different theme for each call. Um, oh, cool. And then at, at one point, we did actually read our chapters aloud. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was very cool. Like we didn't, I didn't see everyone's sort of finished chapter mm-hmm. until the, the book was out. Um, but we did connect and, and sort of talk through some of the challenges we were having. Um, and then we obviously got some like writing coaching mm-hmm. um, from from the mom babes that were kind of giving us their tips, having done it before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was that kind of, that weekly connection. And then we were able to meet in person, I think, I think after the book was submitted, because that was still a little bit, things were still a little bit pandemic-y at that, right. at that point. Pandemic-y, that's yeah. like our new term. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that Mom Babes has done pretty, I haven't read the book, I should do it because it's in the trunk of my car and I will. But they've <laughs> done like several volumes, right? Like it's like their third or fourth volume. No. They've done three. Yeah. So I was part of volume two. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a side note, it's a perfect book to have in your car because each story takes, you know, between like five and 15 minutes to read. 
So I actually keep it in my glove box. And if I'm early for something or waiting for a kid or something, you pull it out, you can open it to any chapter and just read it. Yeah. Okay, I might try that for sure. And you don't have to remember because they're all individual stories. You yeah, don't have to so remember like, anything. Yeah. Story, yeah. You're not like, I lost my plot line. You're just yeah. waiting outside. I've always wondered what moms used to do back in our day, like when we were kids. Like, I guess they'd have to bring real books. Like, I just sit on my phone, but I'm waiting yeah. at something with the kids. But then my kids say, oh, you're just always on your phone. So I'm like trying to watch something and you're like okay but then your phone's always there but I don't think moms back in the day had so many activities that they had to take their kids to we just let them go outside and we didn't even worry about them (laughs) I don't know like I mean I my mom drove I had two sisters so we were like she was chauffeuring us to everything so she she would be like I can't wait till you can drive because you can be my chauffeur Mm -hmm. so there were like 20 minute increments where she was like sitting, waiting for somebody to come out to go pick somebody else up. Mm. So I was like, did she have a book in the car? Because she had a car phone, but that thing was like Yeah, I guess my parents just didn't have, like us Polish immigrants didn't have the money to go to, you know, the dances, the whatever. Yeah, no, we were just given a soccer ball or volleyball and we made our (laughs) own plans and went into the field and played our own games because nobody was paying for it. Maybe there was more community, like like maybe yeah. at the side of the soccer field while parents were watching, they were like actually talking, forbid, talking, chatting with one another. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, I think my mom was like friends with a lot of my, mm-hmm. um, you know, my my friends' parents. I suppose. Yeah. Maybe I mean I'm not quite at that level with my or that age with my kids where there's a lot of standing around fields, but uh, yeah. I'm sure that has changed. Yeah, I'm sure it has. Well, you're entering like once when I was moving, when I was moving to Kelowna, Parker was in preschool, but then he was going to go to kindergarten. And I was like, I was excited to move, but I was also sad to leave Vancouver. And I had this great Mm -hmm. school and stuff that my kid was a part of. And my friend was like, Alex, you have the perfect opportunity. You're going to meet more kindergarten moms because there's no point in school that's better time to meet moms Mm -hmm. than the kindergarten moms because they all just stay and you have to stand around the classroom and wait for your kid. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how we met. Well, our well, kids, our kids were the, newbies, yeah. But we were standing around <laughs> yeah, in we the parking standing. lot waiting for them. Yeah. I mean, after that, I stopped. Like, you, I, yeah, I got she in, always picked like, her kid up. Not, I didn't get out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> I got out for the maybe first two times and I'm like, nope, I'll be waiting over there and you come find the car. <laughs> I noticed that about Kelowna in general and I don't know if it's because it got colder out or like, because everyone in Vancouver is always like, you know, we want to um, reduce our global footprint. So we walk, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but like, or because the childcare situation for after school <laughs> care sucks. I'm not sure which one it is, but one of the, there was so many moms I noticed didn't get out of their cars where at like my old school, every mom, even moms with kids in different grades were outside picking their kid up. And I thought that was really mm-hmm. different, but school ends here at 2.30, which even though it's a half an hour difference, I feel like that's really early. You thought so too, right, Bella? Two thirty is so early. Like what? Like, early. Like, like three you barely get your day yeah. yeah. So you just drop them off and you have to pick them up again. I know so, it's very. But you, you're lucky because you get after school care. You know. Yeah, and, I do get after school care. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I couldn't do my job if I didn't have yeah. after school care. Because two yeah. thirty is like, I just Middle couldn't of the day. finish yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Ridiculous. But anyways, oh, we got to, you know, if it's a nine to five, then there should be a program where, you know, school starts at like, you know, nine. So you just drop them off at 830 and then you mm-hmm. pick them up at five and they do I was all having these this other- conversation 
on the weekend that we were like, we're like with the, the in, increase in, in technology, we're, we're more productive than ever. And I think like 20 years ago when technology was kind of becoming more mainstream, we were like, oh, we're going to be able to work like an hour a day mm-hmm. because technology will be so good. But now our productivity is just so high and all of these tools that we're getting are just increasing the amount of work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And when you have this mul- like work multitasking, it feels like you're never, you're never off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never disconnected. No, never. No, you're never off. Oh my gosh. And sure. now with the AI and all that kind of stuff that's coming out, you know, you're, yes, you still have AI, but then it's like, oh, well, instead of hammering out two things, now you have the ability to do 10 because you can have AI do some of it. So then expectations rise, right? So now you need to be on even more because now you mm-hmm. have this pressure. What if this doesn't work? And now I have 10 product uh, projects on the go versus two. But mm. It is. Yeah. It's a and completely. Like, how do you do PR? Because like PR is so like right now, the world is shifting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so... I always wonder about, you know, certain skills and avenues that people have chosen and how AI and all that, like stuff that does all the work for you going to affect certain careers. Yeah, I've felt my work shift in the last year since AI has come out. I used to do blogging for like a couple of like real estate clients and development Mm -hmm. clients. And that's kind of gone away. And I, I make the assumption that a lot of that has gone the way of AI. And PR has changed so much. Um, I mean, the layoffs in media just mm-hmm. keep coming and keep coming. There's less and less people in the newsrooms telling the stories. There's more, um, you know, sharing sharing of news. And a lot of local news is, uh, is going away because local newspapers are generally free. So if no one's paying for that news, mm-hmm. then there's, there's no budget to create that news. And um, and then also with phones, we have news at, the, at our fingertips. So I don't know, media is in, in an interesting place, but PR is a lot about, well, two things, budget, <laughs> because now there's a lot of sponsored media. You know, if you've got $5,000, lots of um, outlets are very happy to kind of share your story and work with you mm-hmm. um, and relationships and, um, you know, getting to know producers um, and getting to know journalists, getting to know writers and then finding stories that are actually in their, um, you know, in their wheelhouse or in their interest and what's their audience going to want and then pitching them that way. Mm. So it's, it's changed a lot though. And then influencers are a really interesting segment of media that, uh, you know, is, is growing and is definitely mm. of value because a lot of consumers want to hear stories from people that they trust as opposed to just from an outlet where there's mm-hmm. not really a name attached to it. Have you so. heard of de-influencers? I had a client who was like, hey, let's write a post on de-influencers. Do you know what this term is? No. Okay. It's the Apparently, it's an influencer, basically. <laughs> but it's somebody who de-influences. So they go on Instagram or TikTok and they're like, this is why you don't need to buy this from Aritzia. Because there's too many. And they like, basically, it's like more negative. But it's a new term. It, it has like, it's popular, apparently. And all these youngings know about it. I was like, yeah, we can do it. And I had to Google it because I was like, what the hell? So who's paying them though? No one. It's the same. They get the same. Like they get paid. I don't know. Good point. How are they getting paid? I don't know. But it's like, I don't know if payment is what they care about. Ads, I think. like Maybe ads. When you have. But they're not getting sponsored because they're de-influencing. 
So I don't Maybe know. they're getting sponsored by the competition. So you have to watch out. I don't know <laughs> if that, like, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. It's a weird concept. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, but it, why, I don't understand this generation makes me feel old. Because there's all these <laughs> um, terms that come out. Like, you can Google it now. It's just weird. It's a thing. And they go on TikTok and they talk about why not to buy something, why you don't need this purchase, why it's not socially um, and economically yeah. like a feasible to buy this and you're wasting your dollars. You're not contributing to the economy. It's very interesting. But it's like... But in my mind, that's not new. Like that used to be called mm-hmm. like, I mean, the term, right? Well, I guess it's but, the term is new. Yeah, it used to be like more like a life hack. Like you can buy this like yeah. Louis Vuitton coat or you can buy this imitation. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that used right. to be in like yeah. Us Weekly. <laughs> yeah, this Us one's weekly. like $5,000. $5, this one's $50 and they kind of look the same. I just think it's weird how we come up with all these like terms and then we make them a thing. And then, you know, suddenly there's a new job, an influencer <laughs> or the influencer. Mm-hmm. But what about AI, when Bella was saying that, I had a question for you mm-hmm. because... So what I've noticed about AI, and I don't know if you find this, is that say a year ago, everyone was like, all content jobs are going to be lost. AI is like, you know, going to take over the world. And there was a period of time there where I felt like people expected you to pump out more. Maybe someone was like, hey, I want six blog posts because we can make some of these in AI or whatever. But now what I find people are saying is it's almost like it went too far that way. And people are like, hey, I want an authentic post. Like, I want something... Mm -hmm that is not just spit out by AI with the same words like delve into this topic in more detail, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Have you noticed a shift with what people are wanting based on that? Or do you still well, think a lot people of the are writing, like- A lot of the writing I do is based on my experience. Um, I write for a, a sort of parenting vertical of a women's magazine in Australia, actually called Mamma Mia. And all of that is a personal experience. And Sure, I guess AI could generate a personal experience, but a lot of that is um, like sharing my story in the same way that I'm sure AI could generate this conversation for us mm-hmm. and you know have a conversation about the challenges of being a an entrepreneur and a mother. And I'm sure AI could come up with something, but is that going to be as interesting? And can you tie it back to a person? Um, and and just in the same way that the book you're working on the more you share your experiences, the more you normalize struggle and celebration and, and, uh, and normalize, you know, working your way through challenges, the more people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I'm kind of, kind of guessing, but when AI generates those stories, they're not relatable because there's not a face behind them. There's not someone that you can kind of look at and say, wow, that person struggled with this and I am too. And you know, they've made it through and, and that kind of inspires you in the same way that, um, you know, like a robot written post mm-hmm. could. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a place for it and I think it's a value for sure. And yeah. to be honest, I, I probably need to learn more about it to learn how I can work with it instead mm-hmm. of just being afraid of it. <laughs> oh yeah. I feel like I use it all the time. Like it, I mm. use it all the time. I use it all the time for work. I'm like, I need a post about X, Y, and Z. I want these 10 headings. And then usually I get it and it's, learns over time to speak like you. And then I re-edit most of it, but it saves me mm-hmm. time. It's, I like it. Yeah. I think it's, and that's great because hopefully we can then be doing more, you know, more interesting parts. Wouldn't it be great if we could have somebody to go through all of our receipts and do all of our taxes? Yeah. And then we can do the more, the more fun parts of our jobs. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay. Well, interesting. Okay. So what do you find is one of your biggest struggles when it comes to parenthood and right now? Ooh, my biggest struggle. Um, I think my biggest struggle, honestly, is kind of what we've been talking about. And that's um, just trying to really focus on one thing. Um, Because lots of like, as an entrepreneur, I can manage a little bit of my time um, or somewhat. (laughs) But, uh, But my kids are often saying, as I'm sure a lot of parents have like feel this way, is like, mom, you're on your phone, you're on your phone. And it's like, well, I got an email from a client that I'm just going to reply to so that, but if I couldn't do that, I wouldn't be at the park with you right now. So yes, I am Mm -hmm. at the park with you. I'm on my phone, but I'm, you know, running a business, which allows me to pick you up from school and take you to the park. Mm -hmm. So kind of just, you know, balancing, um, balancing that time. And I can definitely improve there. And I, I need to be better about shutting off and and really focusing. Um, but I do find it hard to get my, like when I'm parenting, I'm thinking about work. Mm-hmm. And when I'm working, I'm often thinking about parenting. And so how to really like monotask my mind mm-hmm. um, and align it with what I'm doing, which yeah. I think is, yeah, I'm a work in progress with that. I think we all are. We're mm-hmm. all trying yeah. to kind of, you know, put the phone down and be present Mm -hmm. but by working from home we have that opportunity to go to that playground and work from the playground with our kid Mm -hmm. yeah but then you know you get judged and uh you know put down because oh look at that mom she's on the phone it's like well you know i am working yeah but i'm also able to give that opportunity to my child for my child to go and you know i'm not going to be on the slide they can be on the slide. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be in a swing. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be times I will be, but, mm-hmm. you know, giving ourselves a little bit of grace and we are, you know, a work in progress and, and the phone has, you know, we're still learning. We're still, it's, it's still a young thing, you know, how it's going to evolve and how it's going to be integrated into our lives in the future is going to be interesting to see. And it's fun yeah. because we are in the thick of it. You know, we're kind of the generation where we didn't grow up uh, with phones. We didn't get them till, you know, like, I don't know what was 15, 16 or something. Oh, I was in university when I got a phone. Oh, but but like when the phone started coming out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, no, you had the flip flop, you know, and then the texting came out and yeah, it was really expensive. And now we're, look at this, we have like walking computers where we can do business anywhere. Yeah. From anywhere in the world. You know, yeah. before, it kind of sucks too, because we used to take vacations and mm-hmm. really be disconnected because there was nothing to be on. You know, you mm-hmm. didn't bring your computer because laptops weren't a thing back then. You wouldn't bring your yeah. whatever. And, and we're able to actually take that self-care. I think self-care is also, I could ramble on. We could like run it in from one end to the other, how this phone, this this stuff, this technology has taken over and why we need now to take extra care and self-care is so important because we are overwhelmed. We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is parenting is hard. Parenting yeah. is hard. And you're always getting, no matter what, like, I think that is actually one thing I just want to change in the world. I think that there is that judgment in mo- in motherhood mm. like but if we don't let it affect us that's great but like there's no matter what someone judges parenting right mm. and so if people could just 
stop judging each other's parenting because they're not actually in that situation. It would be so nice. Even people who are in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I haven't for a minute felt like uh, motherhood has come naturally for me. Right. And uh, actually my chapter in, in The Mom Babes is about um, my son being born. Uh, he, he had heart surgery when he was a baby. So his journey, like my journey into motherhood was definitely not a typical one. And I, I don't know if it's because of that or who knows what. I've just, I've never, I always joke that I like never got a maternal instinct. And so I feel like everything with parenting, I'm just figuring it out so cold. You know? <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't, like nothing, nothing about it comes naturally to me or instinctually. Mm. So yeah, it's hard. Well, and your even, kids are fed and, and they're clothed and they're happy. So, I mean, it is kind of naturally to, we're natural yeah. caregivers. Maybe we may not feel like we are, but instinctively, you know, we are here to protect our kids. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as moms, I think if the kid is fed and bathed or clothed, doesn't have to be designer or anything and roof over the head, <laughs> I mean, we're doing pretty good. You know, <laughs> they're surviving and that's what they need to do right, <laughs> for right. the they first little survive. bit yeah. is, the, is the survival. But yes, definitely the judgment uh, could can go and I feel, you know, before I had kids, the judgment was there. You know, you had all the ideas, mm-hmm. all the tips and tricks to, to all the new moms, your friends, and said, I'd never do this. I'll never do. And then you're doing it that and more, you know, the things that you said you'd never do. Yeah, but. actually, that's a good question. What all of you, all of us, <laughs> is something you said you would never do as a parent and that you do? I'm trying to think. Like, I'm sure there's so many. Oh, there's more. Like, uh, so I have two, like, that pop into. Is the co-sleeping. Mm, yeah. I mean, as soon as mm. the babies were, like, I was, I would never have, like, but my kids are 11 and they still sleep with us. Uh, sometimes there's four of us and two cats in my bed. Right. So <laughs> uh, it gets pretty hot and annoying with legs and feet and whatever, arms right. flailing. Uh, but yeah, they still, they still come in and... They sleep with us here, here and there. Well, almost every night. One, somebody is always in our bed. Somebody always. Always. Um, and then, you know, I still feed my 11-year-old. I, I still dress her. Like, she is so cranky in the morning, and it's just easier on me. The other one, there's no freaking way. She's like, I am too old for you to be dressing me. I'm like, okay, thank God. I have one mature 11-year-old. The <laughs> other one... She is so hard in the mornings, then I will take out the clothes. I will put on her pants. I'll put on her shirt, put on her socks, lift her physically out of bed and then push her into the bathroom. Like, go brush your teeth. That's all you need to do. And then come downstairs because it's just easier than not like then dealing with all the yelling and and the crying and the and then the whole day is like Mm -hmm. start. It starts on the wrong foot. And I mean, I can be judged for it. I don't care. It's just easier for me and my family. The mornings are super smooth when I do that. When I don't do mm-hmm. it, everybody's going to school or to work or wherever in a shitty mood. <laughs> <laughs> so I choose peace. So you're doing peace. I'm that. doing yeah. peace. So judge yeah. away, people. Judge <laughs> away. I still dress uh, my 11-year-old. And sometimes I beat her. When she <laughs> just, like, there you go. Confessions. <laughs> Jen, what about you? I think for me, and this is something I'm always a work in progress on, is bribing with food. I always said I would never um, 
because I'm trying to, you know, not make food a weapon and not make Mm -hmm. food good or bad. And I've tried so hard with that. And I think in a lot of ways, I've done so much better than, um, you know, than the generation before me uh, in categorizing food. And, but it is so easy sometimes to just be like, if you do this, I will give you a lollipop. Right. (laughs) And then they do it. Yes. (laughs) You know, and then you don't want to, you know, but then I try to say, you know, this lollipop has no protein in it (laughs) and it's going to give you a nice sugar rush, but then you're going to crash. Is is it worth it? (laughs) And they're like, yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it's funny because I have one child who's very easily bribed by food and one that just has no interest in in food, you know, as a a reward. Right. So, yeah, yeah, definitely that. And probably a million other little things. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of for me, like I think two things that come to mind is I remember that when Evie was little, we always said we would never be the kind of parents who let their kid go to a restaurant with an iPad. And I actually just saw this hilarious Instagram (laughs) with that woman who's in uh, Grey's Anatomy. I forget her name, but she's so funny. And she basically did a story where she, her and her husband are talking. And this was what I was like, I think. She was like, oh my gosh, those parents with the iPads, they're not connecting with their kids. And then she shows up later. She's like, fast forward 10 years. And she has, she comes in and she's like, just asking her husband to hand things. So first he hands the phone, then he hands the iPad, (laughs) then he hands a TV and the remote controller to the switch and all this. And I was like that. I think I was like, no, we'll never have it. And I remember enjoying a meal in peace at Earl's when Evie was like two and a half because we just gave her Paw Patrol. And I thought, mm. wow, I can't believe I resisted this so hard. <laughs> so that wasn't one of them. The other was, I always, as like, I don't know, I think because I worked with kids, I had a lot of like judgment about what I would and wouldn't do. So <laughs> I had these ideas that, you know, like, I can't believe these parents on like the Sky Train or the bus, like just like feeding their kids like crap at eight in the morning or whatever. So I used to take a bus and then I'd take the Sky Train and then a bus from Burnaby to Kitsilano when Evie was like one years old and it was far and it was early and we had to be where we needed to be at eight. And sometimes she would sit on that SkyTrain with no shoes on in her stroller and I'd like give her goldfish crackers (laughs) and all the old women on the SkyTrain were like judging me. I could feel (laughs) their beady old women eyes looking at me in judgment. And I was like, wow, I said I'd never do this, but she's quiet. She's happy. She's like looking at everyone and she's eating goldfish crackers on the SkyTrain. And it's fine. Nothing is happening. <laughs> like she's not dying. But it goes back to putting peace, you know, your mm-hmm. peace and your, um, you know, mental health first. Yeah. yeah. You know, because if if mom is a bit more, you know, filled, yeah. then it's better for everyone. Yeah. yeah. When mom is happy, everybody's happy. For yeah. sure. It's happy wife, happy life goes the same. Happy mom, happy kids. Because yeah, you know, otherwise, absolutely. So I'm curious about your book, your story, because you said you're you wrote about, you know, you had a, a harder start to motherhood with your mm-hmm. child having to do surgery. So can you just, you know, um, share a little bit on how that went? Yeah, yeah. definitely. And and I'm I'm always very happy to share this story, even though it feels far away for me now, because when we got a diagnosis of congenital heart disease when I was, um, I think I was 22 weeks pregnant. So this was before he was even born. I had never heard of CDH, which is congenital heart disease. I didn't know anyone who had had a child who needed open heart surgery. 
I didn't know that one in 10 kids have a heart condition. I didn't know any of this. And so when I got that information, I always feel, um, I, I, I felt so alone and mm-hmm. so scared. Um, and so if anyone is listening and, and you know, I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but, but I'm always so happy to kind of talk about it because um, I think normalizing that these things happen is, is really important. But yeah, at, at my 20-week ultrasound, um, I found out that my son would need heart surgery. And so he was born, um, he was born via C-section, which was nothing to do with his heart condition. Um, and then basically when, when he was born, he needed heart surgery, but there was a, there was about a six month period where his condition was getting a little bit more complicated. They needed him to put on weight. Um, so the first six months of his life, he was on a feeding tube. Um, so I didn't breastfeed. So maybe that was part of the reason. I mean, there's so many things in here. Um, I found out that I was pregnant with him uh, the day that I got home from a trip to Peru. So I've always kind of wondered and blamed myself was hiking in high altitude, <laughs> what gave him a heart condition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never know. Yeah. And I've, I've seen many counselors over the years that say, you know, you can't blame yourself. Right. But um, I think as mothers, we always want an explanation. And the explanation is always to kind of blame ourselves. But uh yeah, so in in my mom babes chapter, I, I've I kind of went through the the process of that of finding out that news, um, you know, reconciling that with with my husband and my family, and and then going through this pregnancy, the the second half of the pregnancy, wondering if the baby was even gonna. Um, sorry, I feel getting emotional oh, here. He's so- seven. He's uh, he's mm-hmm. fine. His um, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to talk about mm-hmm. um because there's always those those what ifs, you know. Mm-hmm. And we, we were so lucky and, you know, I, I, it has to be said, we're lucky to have gone through this in Canada as well, because um, we didn't pay for any of his surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I was in a lot of Facebook groups for support for heart moms and uh, some of the stories in other countries where they don't have the healthcare that we have are, are truly heartbreaking when they have to make really, really hard decisions based mm-hmm. on finances. And so I'm so blessed that we didn't, um, that we didn't face any of that, but uh, yeah, so he was born with, with, um, Basically, his heart didn't pump blood properly. His two of his tubes were swapped, um, so his his little heart just pumped blood in a little circle instead of going out to the rest of his body. Um, and so, for the first six months, he was on a lot of medication. He was fed through a feeding tube. Um, he, we were in and out of children's hospital very often. And then at seven months, he had open heart surgery, where they were able to do what's called a mechanical surgery um, and basically just cut. A couple of tubes, reattached them, sewed them up. Um, and the most amazing thing was that he had this surgery at seven months. He couldn't, at seven months, he couldn't sit, he couldn't roll, he couldn't, he was grossly underweight. Um, and by kind of 10, 11 months, um, within two months of his surgery, he was sitting, rolling, wow. uh, mm-hmm. crawling. And um, to meet him today, you would never know that he, you know, that he mm-hmm. had gone through that. And he has, um, you know, he still has a congenital heart condition um, and we're still, we go to children's hospital once a year for a checkup. Um, but luckily that's all gone really well for him. Um, and as he gets older, it's sort of like, should he play contact sports? Mm. Should he be able to do this? Um, but luckily he hasn't really shown any signs of um, of having complications or anything. So he's living a very energetic, full, um, full life at seven. Um, but I think that is a lot of um, a lot of the background of some of the the challenges and maybe the um, the 
lack of maternal instinct that I've had was that my pregnant, like I didn't even tell many people that I was pregnant until I had a baby. Mm. Um, only because, uh, you know, I think we all know that scene from Sex and the City where Charlotte, um, who was obviously hoping to have all of these babies, uh, she had decorated a baby room and then couldn't mm. get pregnant. Um, and there's that scene where she's pulling the the bunnies off mm. off the what was supposed to be the baby's bedroom wall. And I just thought, I don't want to go through that. So when we brought my son home, he slept in a Tupperware for the first two nights mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. because um, I didn't even want to buy a crib. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. just in case. Um, and then when we had my daughter, there was suspicions of health condition with her at that same 20-week scan, which really just went, oh my goodness, yeah. I am not meant to procreate. <laughs> but luckily she um, she was fine. It ended up being like uh, sort of, hypervigilance because mm-hmm. of what had happened with my son. So she ended up being fine. But then when she came home from the hospital, you know, three days after she was born and they said, okay, we'll call us in six weeks um, and let us know, you know, or call us in six weeks, come mm-hmm. for your appointment. I brought home a three or four day old baby and thought, I don't know what to do with this because with my son, I had a team, literally a team of professionals supporting me with every medication, every mm-hmm. feeding, every, everything. And her, they were like, yeah, she seems to be breastfeeding. I think she'll be fine. And so I had a ton of anxiety when she was born because I was doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Declan, he had so many issues, but I was never alone. I was so well supported. And mm. literally every decision was like, there were five professionals making this decision with me. So um, I almost think I had a harder postpartum with her because it was all me, all these mm-hmm. decisions. How often should she eat? How often should she sleep? Well, no one was telling me. Yeah, so right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I can totally relate because my, I had twin girls and, you know, we were high risk and they did come early. And so we did end up in the NICU and um, yeah, that moment you bring them home, you know, they were surrounded by a team of nurses. Like, yes, I was there, Mm -hmm. but there was always somebody there, you know, they were attached to monitors. So if anything was going on, are they breathing? Are they not breathing? Because, you know, for ours, their lungs were developed, but they haven't learned or they needed to be triggered sometimes to to take a breath. Mm. So, you know, you have them in the NICU, they attach to the the gadgets and they beep at you when they they need to breathe. So you, you tap them mm-hmm. on the back or on their butt and then, then they'll take the breath. And But then you bring them home. Mm-hmm. So that PTSD, because it's like, are they really breathing? Are they, you know, and that's why like people are like, no, put them in the crib. I slept with like the, my baby slept on me. They were so little. They were three and four pounds when we brought them home or four and five. And uh, I know you're not supposed to, but I just felt so I, I slept like the dead. I didn't move and I had these babies mm-hmm. and just the feeling of them breathing, I was able to sleep. So mm-hmm. it it's, you know, being surrounded by a team and then oh here you go they're fine now and go (laughs) there is that transition phase Mm -hmm. where you're like holy man am I going to keep these babies alive am I going to you know survive things I don't you don't hear about when you yeah you know yeah and and I had always heard after 12 weeks you know then you can announce your pregnancy and you're good to go yeah and uh because i had been in peru there was also a, a zika concern so mm. i wasn't even able to tell people at 12 weeks that i was pregnant mm. and um yeah you just don't really 
you don't really hear about, um, I mean, I think we hear a lot more about it. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, social media has a lot of bad things about it, but I think that a good thing is that a a lot more of these conversations are being Mm -hmm. had and a lot more women are sharing their stories. I think it Um, is, yeah, so important. Yeah, and it is important to share. I know we're not supposed to say this and that, but I mean, we just had somebody on uh, a couple episodes back. She was, you know, she had a lot of miscarriages and Mm -hmm. doing that alone is so much more painful than, you know, being surrounded by people who love you, who can hold you up during those moments when you're feeling so low and down. But when you're by yourself and you're not sharing, people don't know. And that's when those judgments, like, what's wrong with that person? Why Mm -hmm. is she so sad? Oh, you're not the same. You know, and then that just builds and adds to what you're going through. So I do, Mm -hmm. I do believe that, you know, in the sharing is where we find the healing and we, and and Mm -hmm. support and the courage to move forward. You know, and move Absolutely. on, and, and yeah. So, thank you so much. For, yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, that. sharing and being so open and vulnerable with yeah. us. So, yeah, I think we should uh, do some fire rapid questions here. Okay, what do you think is a trait in each of your kids that you're like, oh crap, that's a trait? Like, definitely, that's me. Like a mirror <laughs> for you. A good one or a bad either, one? Either I mean, one. Whatever you feel like sharing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my daughter is very goofy and a bit flighty, which I think comes from me. And my son, um, he, when he gets an idea, he's on the train and can't see anything outside of the tunnel. And I think that's a lot like me too. You're like, this Mm. is my idea. This is what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. And then what is something, like, what is the biggest um, thing you feel like your parents taught you as a kid? Um... Commitment, I think. Um, and yeah, commitment and kind of loyalty, I think, were strong mm-hmm. characteristics that they passed on to me. Nice. Mm-hmm. And like it's when you commit to something, you finish and you. Right. You do it you even know. if you signed up and you don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At least for one season. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> the follow through. The follow yeah. through for sure. Okay. And yeah. then is there anything you could think of that you're like, about your parents like even though I'm sure you love them dearly that you're like I am I'm gonna consciously not do this (laughs) yeah and and that honestly is body image um my mom talked a lot as many many moms did in the 80s and 90s about how she needed to go on a diet how she was good and she had earned some something you know I was Mm -hmm. good all day I earned this for dessert um and I often she's so much better now but when I first had kids um there was a number of times where I really was pulling her up on her language because like we don't talk about food as being good or bad. Like you don't have to earn dessert in our mm-hmm. house. Like, mm-hmm. um, and my mom, yeah, I think a lot of, and a lot of women in the eighties and nineties, she's definitely not on her own, but the low fat, no fat talking about dieting all the time. Um, yeah, I definitely hope to not pass that on to my kids and try to talk about bodies as being strong. Um, you know, our bodies are, when they're big, it's cause they're strong and they're you know, when we put good things into our bodies, our bodies can do great things. And and just being really positive about my own body, even when I'm not feeling mm-hmm. that that is uh, maybe not what's going on internally, um, always being very positive about my own body. Nice. Around my son and my daughter, because I think, yeah, I think it's important for both. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. And where can people find you if they want to follow along? 
Yeah, the best place to connect with me is probably Instagram. So I'm at Jen with two N's underscore Wint, W-I-N-T. Um, I mean, if you Google, if you Google my name, I'll come up. You can learn more about the Mom Babes book and about um, Josie's Busy Calendar, which is my kid's book. Um, yeah, but Instagram is probably the best place, unless you want more uh, hard-hitting content that I suggest look on Twitter. <laughs> oh, sorry, X. X, X. right, X. the new word, X. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jen. We liked yeah. having yeah, you on Yeah, thank you so much. I really um, I really appreciate uh, the, the space that you ladies have created to uh, to have conversations like this. I think it's, it's so important. Stories are everything, and I cannot wait to read your book. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next well, until next time. Yeah, Bye. thanks. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you feel more empowered, moved, and inspired. Be sure to check out the show's description and follow us on social media at Let's Not Sugarcoat It podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. Also, check out our YouTube channel where you can view and subscribe to our latest episodes. What you have to say matters, so send us your feedback and ideas on what you'd like us to talk about so we can serve you better. And remember, motherhood is a team sport.